two Nixon columns. Two Nixon columns. Two Nixon columns. That's its own genre. Yeah. Medium. <laughs> oh my god, I get to see this live now. That's right. I'm so excited. Yeah. 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 Oh my god, are you starting? Are I'm li- like <laughs> seconds away. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm gonna spend extra seconds answering your question. Yes, I'm gonna start soon. Here I go. So yeah, just sit back, relax, <laughs> enjoy these guys on the screen in the background. <laughs> <He's> like, <laughs> That's uh, such a this guy, right? yeah. <laughs> Looks a lot like my grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> show first started uh like the first week of april it was just uh me kate and zealous all bundled up and me having the idea of telling a bunch of spooky stories uh just some creepy piano music and then about a week later on april 11th uh i aired the first uh quarantine spook show stream on youtube uh today is april 10th 2021 tomorrow is april 11th Tomorrow is also the same day where I get my first visor vaccine. And during the time when uh, Quarantine Spook Show started, it was during those two months when there were no cars on the road, most industries shut down overnight, and no one knew what was going to happen next. And at this point, a lot of people still don't. But it was definitely important to me to uh, have a show like this have a place for people to chill out and to listen to scary stories, uh, mainly because the world, when the world is so horrific, you know, there's nowhere else to go but silly. So this is the show where I do improvised horror stories. I'm gonna pull these random stories from a jar here. <laughs> and then I'm gonna make up the stories from there. I know, I just always explain it. When 
whenever I do like a stream of this, there's always one person in the chat just like, are you making this up? And it's just like, yes. So I always like to explain it up top just so that everyone who's listening knows what they're getting into. Even for recordings in the future and whatever, you know. So while all these black and white movies are playing on silent in the background, let's begin. <laughs> uh, this first story is called People Are Gonna Throw Babies. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Happy birthday to Quarantine Spook Show. Shit. <laughs> epidemic that was hitting the whole continent. An epidemic of people throwing babies out of windows. No one knew why. The first couple were horrific. It'd be awful to be walking down the sidewalk and see a bunch of babies, you know, splattered on the sidewalk. There's no way to tell the sale and not be morbid, so I'm just going to lean into it. Unless I did the censored baby-throwing uh, story. But I digress. So the first dozen baby-throwing stories were horrific. People ask questions uh, in social discourse online and in person. This is an outrage. What have we become as people? How can we live in a world and society where this can go on? And when these first dozen or so babies were chucked out of their 8 to 15 story windows, a lot of the stories that circulated uh, that the people who threw out the babies were sick in the head or something. Just like, yeah, I just threw out my baby because fuck it. That's what they thought. They thought there was some sort of uh, maniacal attachment to the prospect of throwing a baby out the window. Sometimes it was the parents. Sometimes it was the nannies. Or even other family relatives. Or just a stranger who randomly decided to throw a baby out a window. But then the babies kept falling. started off as a soft dozen, led to hundreds of babies around the continent to be chucked out of windows, landing on the ground to their morbid deaths. Once the baby deaths led to the hundreds, people were even more outraged, more social discourse online and in person. 
This is an outrage. How can we possibly coexist in a society that normalizes chucking babies outside win out of windows? But the babies kept falling. It was hitting world records of babies falling out of windows. The NPR show, Radio Lab, did a special on it. Why are, why, why, what's this new trend? Chucking babies out of windows. No one had an answer for it. People have been interviewed, uh, they threw out the babies, uh, once they were sent to jail or prison. And they just said, yeah, I just had a compulsive impulse to chuck out a baby, you know? most tragic thing was people were starting to toss it to the side. They were getting exhausted from the social discourse online and in person. They just accepted baby chucking as a regular part of their mainstay society. It was satirized on talk shows, made into sketches on SNL. Eventually, started to drift slowly and slowly away from typical news cycles because it no longer was news. People would just think, yes, of course babies get chucked out of windows. What kind of world doesn't get have babies chucked out of windows? Obviously. I don't know what the baby did, but, you know, it's just how it goes. Life's hard for everyone. there are still some good people in this world that knew how chucking babies out windows, how fucked up it was. How could it not be? Who the fuck does that? Randomly. Who the goddamn hell is a vendetta over a baby? And although in this world many scientific institutions were underfunded, understaffed, often worked for the government. There is a small team of people who brought it upon themselves to study the anomaly, seriously. Trying to understand the compulsions of why people threw out babies at windows. They interviewed the hundreds of people who would throw out babies. And a lot of them just said the same thing. Just like, yeah, it's just a compulsion. A compulsion. I was just compelled to do it, you know? I just saw the baby and I was just like, I gotta throw that baby out. <laughs> so the scientists thought, well, where does this compulsion come from? There are a lot of theories and hypotheses about it. A lot of regular people just pass it off as just like, well, it's the stresses of the world, you know? Times are tough, everyone's going through a lot, you know? I've thought about chucking a baby a time or two. I get it. I would never do it, but, you know, things happen. But the scientists, they thought they knew better. Something else was going on. Something from space. <laughs> In 2018, there 
there's a mysterious asteroid that passed by Earth, almost hitting it, just barely dodging it. But it landed on the moon. On the surface of the moon that we can all see. And the asteroid just remained there. It didn't knock the moon out of orbit. It didn't mess with the gravity or currents of the Earth. One thing all the scientists agree, that ever since that asteroid passed by the Earth and landed on the moon, people have been chucking out babies left and right. So the scientists had a theory, just, well, maybe if we can study this asteroid, uh, you know, learn from it, maybe we can curtail this uh, baby-chucking epidemic. plan to go to space and confront this asteroid, either to destroy it, to remove it, but at the very least study it. And they went to all the elite powers of the world to try to fund a, a space exposition, exposi expedition to study this asteroid and try to get rid of it. Maybe with explosives, they didn't have a plan yet. Had a few plans. They sketched them out, and whatever was good with funding or whatever, that's what they'd go for. So they went to all the elite powers on the Earth. They went to China. They went to Russia. They went to Elon Musk, but no one, uh, no one was down for funding this uh, asteroid uh, expedition. So they had to raise the funds themselves. So they started to go fund me to remove this asteroid from the moon. It's pretty cut and dry pitch, just like, please, for the love of God, we're all tired of seeing babies chucked out of windows, whether it's on our way to work, on our way back from work, seeing them on the sidewalks. You really think this asteroid has something to do with it? So please, help us out, and maybe we can achieve this together. Hashtag no dead babies. <laughs> Like many socially and politically poignant hashtags, spread like wildfire. Everyone was into, into the prospect of not having babies chucked out of windows, compulsively and spontaneously. It was promoted by YouTubers, uh, talk show hosts, news anchors, activists, politicians. We must get rid of this baby chucking epidemic once and for all. There are some contrarians to the hashtag, just thinking, well, why do we gotta fund a big thing to space? Why can't people just not chuck out babies? People will be like, watch your tongue. <laughs> Surely if so many people were chucking babies out of tall buildings, it couldn't possibly be that easy to stop. No, we must go to space. couple months to fund this expedition to space. And there are three scientists that were going to embark on the expedition. Uh, Bert, Ernie, and uh, Kermit. <laughs> they all have their little space suits on and they're ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> 
didn't know why everyone was laughing on their walk to the to the rocket. <laughs> they were taking the job very seriously. <laughs> Kermit was asking, why is everyone laughing at us? And Ernie was like, I have no idea. That was, no, that was Ernie. That was Bert. Yes, Ernie is the one that sounds like this, like Bert. That's it. Sorry, I'm getting these 100 original characters confused. So the rocket launches, and they go to space. The rocket detaches from the vessel, and the vessel just cruises to the moon. It takes about... 36 days or however long it takes to get to the moon. I don't remember anymore. Rockets are faster, so maybe it's shorter, but whatever. I mean, who's been studying rocket power since, like, the World War II whenever, when they were using it to kill each other, but that's, that's a different thing. So they go to the moon. About a mile off from where the asteroid was. Their plan was to study it and then come back with their findings uh, to pitch an idea for a removal process, whether it's to crumble it or just uh, remove it and launch it back into space. So they find the asteroid and it's huge. It's about the size of an arena. chip off little bits of it, take it back to their space vessel, put it under microscopes, under radar, radiation, see what it'll do. And it did look like a typical space rock, but it was a little different in ways that they couldn't quite put their finger on. And Bert was just like, this doesn't make any fucking sense. It just look, look, looks like any other rock that could be around. And then Ernie said, oh, Bert, you know, we just gotta spend more time studying it. And Kermit said, I agree. They went back and collected more specimens. They had enough food and water for 30 days before they had to go back to Earth. They spent 28 of those days viciously studying the rocks. What they deduced that the rocks were emitting a type of radiation. It wasn't a radiation that they knew of. There was something off about it. But they deduced that this radiation uh, was causing people to want to check out babies compulsively. So it's just day 29. Kermit, Erdy, and Bert are all exhausted sitting in the space vessel. All fatigued from all this research that led nowhere. Or so they thought. And Ernie's just like, oh, this, this research's getting, it's getting us nowhere. And then Bert's just like, oh, you know, it's, uh, you know, we just gotta keep at it, Ernie. We gotta, gotta keep at it. And then Ernie was just like, I don't know, Bert, you know, why do we... Why do we gotta save babies anyway? And Kermit was just like, uh, Ernie, what are you saying? And then Ernie was just like, you know, we're doing all this effort to, you know, check out, to 
get save a bunch of babies, but you know, maybe the babies deserve it. You know, if I saw a baby, I'd chuck it out too. And Kermit was just like, Ernie, I think the radiation's getting to you. And then Kermit goes, Wait, guys, I have an idea. Since we've been so exposed to the radiation of this asteroid, what if we get to Earth and we're like super into chucking out babies? I don't know why the radiation hasn't affected us before. With this high exposure, surely, we're gonna be really into chucking babies out of tall buildings. Ernie was just like, no, no, that's ridiculous. I, I could take or leave babies. And then Bert was just like, yeah, me too. So at the end of day 29, goes back to the asteroid. And he shows his way at it some more. But he doesn't do it to collect specimens. He's just trying to break the big rock down one piece at a time. He just takes a small rock and then chucks it all in the air. Hopefully leaving uh, the moon's sphere of gravity. And then drifts back on the space. have really strong desires to check out babies. They also help Kermit try to break down this asteroid bit by bit. Takes them all night and all day, all into day 30, the day that they're slated to leave. From their vessel, they give a mission report on what to do, uh, what are the next steps, what have you learned from this asteroid. And Kermit's just like, oh, you gotta, you gotta send a missile up here, you gotta, you gotta blow it up. And then the base control's just like, what do you mean, blow it up? And then Kermit's just like, blow it up, you know, send a missile to the asteroid, destroy it, uh, maybe the whole moon, just fuck it. We gotta, we gotta get rid of this thing. Just, I, there's nothing more in this world that I want than to destroy every baby via chucking them out a window. You have to, we're all going crazy here. We all fucking hate babies so much. Like, I'm gonna, when I get back to Earth, I'm gonna, first thing I'm gonna do is just like chuck 20 babies out of windows. You gotta, you gotta blow this thing up. I don't care what it does to the Earth. I don't wanna live on a planet that, uh, chucks out babies. So please, I have to, fight against my primal urges to chuck out babies. Just please blow up the moon. It's, we have to. We have no choice. So Kurt, uh, Kermit, Bert, and Ernie all left the moon and base control were deciding, well, just, well, they're the ones that were, they had the game plan for what to do with the asteroid. If they want us to blow up the moon, we have no choice. I mean, it's not like everyone can just fight their uh, urges to chuck out babies out of windows uh, on a wide scale. We just gotta blow up the moon. It's, it's a much easier way to do it. They went to the decision so quickly that Kermit, Bert, and Ernie watched uh, the moon blow up. Some people could see it from Earth, but they were the ones that could see the, the uh, missile slowly fly from the Earth's atmosphere drift across the endless uh, expanse of space 
and then hit the moon and just blow it up. No mortal, uh, based from Earth, has ever seen such a cataclysmic sight. And those three were the one to witness it. So they got them back to Earth, and the statistics of chucking out babies uh, dropped. It was almost never happening. The Earth celebrated that this epidemic, nay, a pandemic, of chucking out babies has finally come to an end. We can all relax and hang out, go to bars and restaurants without worrying about the lives of the young. Finally, perhaps it's a new step onto a better species in a better world, a better society, and a future that we can build towards. However, Kermit, Burt, and Ernie, they still radiated with the asteroids' radiation. And when they interacted with people, they also picked up on some of that radiation too. In fact, the radiation could spread person to person pretty easily. Though no one quite knew that yet. All the people that were affected by the radiation knew that when they saw a baby, there was nothing that they wanted more than to chuck it out a window. Yeah. <laughs> Almost as if it never worked. Almost. <laughs> Almost, yeah. It wasn't like people were like, I'm ready to stop chucking babies, I'm going to a 12 step. They're just like, you know, there was that 5% that was like, you know, I think this is a good thing. Yeah. I got a good thing going on here. <laughs> Murdering is fun. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, people are going to throw babies. <laughs> yeah. Murdering and Kermit are just like, fuck, yeah, I killed them. Mm. Yeah. Can't stop <laughs> <laughs> uh. Uh, I'm gonna go to the bathroom real quick, and then I'm gonna read there another story. Go. Um, it's gonna be like two seconds. Show you know how many babies we can check out in the time. <laughs> No, it used to be a hat for the longest time, or I guess a couple hats. I think it cycled through, but uh, yeah, Zelos made the graphic, the jar. One day, I just kind of came home and there's like a little jar full of little stories, and I was just like, oh, <laughs> it's it's cute as fuck, right? It's really cute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's gonna be a it's gonna be a tough act to follow, but I'm gonna yeah, I'll, I'm gonna away. I'm gonna follow it. The seed packet says we gotta thin out one for every two. Oh my god! <laughs> Uh, Land and Rose, 
was your show, Kyle. On that note, <laughs> I have the next story. All right. This next story is called, But He Needed Glasses. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Dimitri was a kind of a fucking dweeb. He couldn't help it. Him and his dweebish ways. I think if any of us all hung out with him, he thought, you know, Dimitri's pretty cool. But it's just at every, every turn in his life, he was always picked on and made fun of for wearing glasses. And he'd always shout, just like, well, you know, most people need glasses or contacts anyway, and People would just be like, ah, shut up, Dimitri. Four eyes, dweeb. And it's just like, oh, shit. Everyone's so aggressive. So Dimitri would go on in his life, uh, in high school, and he'd get beat up from a time or two. These really nasty football players that he went to school with. And they'd always break his glasses. too ashamed to tell his parents about uh, how his glasses kept breaking. So they would always just nag him and just be like, I can't believe you keep breaking your glasses. And Dimitri was just like, oh, I'm a klutz. I don't know. So Dimitri went on. Eventually his parents uh, stopped getting, in, getting him new frames. So Dimitri had to tie tape on his frames every day. He actually had this one specific pair that he became a master at fixing. He would tape them, glue them. They were very much a Frankenstein pair of glasses. With lenses that were probably two years out of date. And then one day his mom looked at him and he was, she was just like, oh, Dimitri, come on, let's go to Let's go to the eyeglasses store. Let's go pick out some new frames. So on the drive to the glasses store, uh, in an extension of a Walmart, they're driving, and uh, Dimitri's mom is just like, Dimitri, I know some of the shit that's been happening to you at school. And Dimitri is just like, oh, what do you mean? What do you mean? And then Dimitri's mom was just like, well, you know, you keep getting beat up or whatever. Which, you know, it happens to a lot of people, but... Give you a speech about how you should defend yourself or whatever. But you can talk to me about this shit, you know? If you get assaulted and something breaks, I'll be happy to replace it, you know? You don't gotta be squeamish about it. And then Demetrius is like, I don't know, I don't know what you're talking about. And then Demetrius' mother just kind of dropped the notion. But she still wanted her son to know that he could always reach out to her. 
they both they both thought they'd be more excited to go to the glasses store as an extension of Walmart. Dimitri's mom was happy to help out Dimitri with just uh, taking care of himself and whatnot. And Dimitri was looking forward to the notion of uh, getting new frames. But there's so much friction between their relationship it was hard for any of them to feel any pleasure for getting some new glasses or whatever. So Dimitri perused the frames. They all had different styles, different colors. There were some red pointy ones he was into. Some zebra ones and leopard ones. And he was like, oh yeah, that's pretty cool. And then he saw a new pair of frames. And not quite in a style that he's seen before. It looked pretty typical, pretty contemporary, you know. But there was something off about them. They were a very standard set, but they were slightly askew in a way for, for them to really stand out and to be unique among other frames. And then Dimitri was just like, these, I want these. And then his mom was just like, oh, those are pretty cool. Technician was just like, oh, that's good. That's the only set we have. Yeah, it wasn't even, like, really part of our order. We usually get these in bundles, but these were just, like, this own standalone pair. And then Dimitri was just like, yeah, that's these are the pair. I am 100% certain these are for me. So the technician got them fitted right there in the store. Popped in the new lenses. And then Dimitri walked off feeling like a new person. emboldened and empowered through fashion. And I was really excited to confront all the people at school that call him a dweeb. That would try to harass him and bully him and rob him or whatever. And when he said robbed, it wasn't like, oh, let me give me your lunch money. They would just like open his backpack and take his shit, throw all of his papers and stuff. Demetrius going through a lot of fucked up shit at school. Still, he felt emboldened. Everyday school is a nightmare, but he was ready to face any any challenge that came onto him. So he was in history class, and there was one specific bully that like sat in front of him, slightly to the right. And he turned around. And he was like, "Hey, dweeb, your frames look fucking awful. You suck." And Demetrius was like, fuck you, man. And then the bully was just like, what'd you say? And Demetrius was like, you heard me. Fuck you. And the bully just scowled and then turned back to the front of the room. Demetrius tried different uh, defense mechanisms at school. tried to stab a bully with a fork once, but that only made him angrier. So on Dimitri's walk uh, from school to his house, he took a shortcut by some railroad tracks. And then the bully and two of his friends were following him. And Dimitri was just like, oh, not this shit again. 
thought about his bag and what was in his pockets. And he didn't have anything, like, too valuable on him. There was his phone, but the bullies never fucked with that. He didn't have anything on him except for his glasses. If those broke, he would be devastated. And he was committed this time that he would protect them no matter what. So they're walking behind him, and they're, they're saying, Hey, dweeb! Hey, I'm talking to you! They threw a rock at him, but Dimitri just kept walking. Hey, Dimitri, dweeb! Yeah! And Dimitri just didn't know how to respond to that situation, so he was just like, Fuck you, man! So the main bully that was in his history class started to get a little bit pissed. How dare anyone stand up against me? picks up a large rock, and he says, I'm going to break those glasses right off your face, again. And then Dimitri said, not my glasses, no. And the bully starts to charge up against him. And Dimitri holds his, fl his frames and then takes a few steps back, and he says, back off! And then all of a sudden, these bright red lasers shoot out against the glasses, right at the bully, and he blows up. Wads of meat and clothes spread everywhere. The other two bullies are soaked in their friend's blood and meat and clothes. Not all of his body blew up. There were so parts of it still intact. His scalp was, you know, intact. Some of his fingers didn't blow up. Mainly like his torso and his arteries, you know. That's what blew up. <laughs> Dimitri just stood there. With his hand on his frames. The two bullies just looked at the remains of their dead friend and looked at Dimitri. Dimitri just like looked at them. Then they both just like went walked the other direction. They didn't run, they just walked. They were just like, yeah, we're not even gonna we're not even gonna fuck with this. Dimitri went back home. He still had a lot of blood on him. Uh, no one was at his house, but he just washed him on his own accord. Chucked out the clothes that were stained permanently. And then he lied on his bed and just looked at his frames, and he was just like, oh, must have been some sort of like a heat sensor ray or something. Must have been why the his torso and arteries blew up. Maybe it was in the blood flow or something. So he went back to school like everything was normal. The two other bullies saw him around, and when they saw him in the hall, they just walked in the other direction. He didn't know if they told anyone. About two days later, a story broke out about the uh, history class bully uh, blowing up. No one really mourned because no one liked him, you know. He was just a vicious asshole that harassed a bunch of kids. And a lot of kids made a bunch of morbid jokes about it, just like, oh yeah, I'm really glad that kid blew up. Like, 
never wish it upon anyone, but if it had to be anyone, I'm glad it was him. Some teachers try to encourage their uh, students, you know, to accept the time of mourning and grief into their heart. But even they said it in a lackluster way, you know, just like, yeah, one less asshole in my class, shit. Family members attended the funeral. But a few weeks after he died, no one really talked about him. Now, Dimitri had these frames, and he was thinking, I wonder what else I can blow up. It started to be a regular thing. He would go to a... He'd go to a junkyard that wasn't very well-managed, take random shit and start blowing it up. Refrigerators, tires. They're all, they all effectively blew up. None quite like living creatures, which he's only ever done on accident. Just the bully and uh, a squirrel that snuck up on him once. The tail was still intact, so he assumed that it had to do with like blood flow and arteries that uh, activated the uh, explosion. And maybe with like other inanimate objects, it was just uh, metal or something. Dimitri didn't know what uh, what he considered a gift at this point to blow people up. He considered it a gift or a curse. You could always get a new pair of frames and destroy these, but he was just like, well, I don't not want to have the ability to blow people up. But after experimenting in the junkyard, he just, just went to school as normal, you know, like it was no big thing. Never using his frames, but just was... Happy that he just had the ability to use them uh, as like a death laser thing. I bet Dimitri was one of those such beings to survive. <laughs> Could have been. Could have been. It's a, I, I it, think you should get those frames. Well, uh, it was at a Walmart. So, <laughs> start Walmart perusing. Pharmacy. Yeah. Does it stand for greatest of all time? Goat? Or something else entirely?
you had to be very well studied and very well experienced uh, to get a job at the uh, geological geological optometrist archive terminal. It's a very specific set of skills at the geological optometrist archive terminal. It's a it's a terminal that uh, studies minutia of the Earth and the Earth Earth's crust through the lens of physical observation and to archive that data. And the facility was a terminal so that many people can pass through it and they thought it was a complicated com uh, complicated name so they just called it goo for sure. worked in geology in any capacity, it was an honor to work for GOAT. It used to be funded by the United States government, uh, but now they don't do anything um, at all. So now it's privately funded by mysterious randos. Patricia waited her, her whole life to get in the GOAT. Graduated top of her class, both in high school and in college. Went on a lot of field expeditions to study the Earth's crust and the viewing of it. One of Goat's specialties was uh, studying glass, hence the optometrist part in it, because uh, there's lenses uh, for people to see. Glass is like a type of rock, I guess, or something. It comes from the earth, so they study a lot of glass at Goat. The reason why it was originally funded uh, by the United States government, because they tried to weaponize glass and uh, matter from the earth's crust and take advantage of the archive data at this terminal. Use it as a weapon against Russians or something. Whatever. They always want to fight. But then uh, the United States uh, backed away funding uh, at GOAT because they're, they got no money. Or they got too much money but don't know how to spend it. Um, or they just don't know how to use glass for anything. Uh, that suits their weird needs to blow shit up. <laughs> But Patricia was at Goat. She was a glass specialist. Ever since she got glass as a kid, she was just like, oh yeah, I'm so down for studying rocks and glass. Storing this data at a terminal. It's gonna be great. She was so thrilled to meet so many other like-minded people. Their quest for knowledge and whatnot. And as an as earnest as their enthusiasm was for this research, Goat was still funded by someone. They didn't quite know what their research was going to be used for, similar to the makers of the atomic bomb before them. It was exciting to be on the verge of something big, but would it be too big for mankind? It was hard to say. 
rumors uh, surrounded Goo that it was founded after the uh, space expedition to the moon uh, because of an asteroid that was allegedly causing people to chuck out babies. And scientists and government officials thought, well, if this, you know, if rocks can motivate people to do crazy shit, we should fucking look into it, you know? And thus Goat was born. It had a lot of controversy because one of their experimental glasses frames uh, escaped their facility and found itself at a random Walmart. And that in that same town, uh, some kid blew up. They couldn't track who had those frames, but they knew they were out there. So it was exciting to be a goat. They even had a painting of a goat uh, in the main lobby. And a bunch of paintings of goats, actually, you know. The whole facility was decorated in goats. They were just really into the idea of just like, yeah, it spells goat, right? And then they just kind of rode with it. If they were a more public facility, they would have a mascot of a goat. Um, but if they were just like, well, if NASA doesn't have a mascot, then do we need one, you know? And a lot of people would argue yes, but it never quite happened. So Patricia was excited uh, to work at GOAT, despite its controversy. The way glass and rocks, uh, how they have mysterious properties that can manipulate time and space, and matter, capable, capable of things that humans couldn't even dream of, except maybe blowing up the moon, because that happened. So Patricia was in charge of uh, studying this one set of rocks. She wasn't told where they were from. She just had to just like, yeah, just figure out what the deal with these rocks are. And they emitted a type of radiation. It wasn't quite the, uh, the baby chucking radiation or the laser death ray radiation. But it wasn't so much that she wanted to discover the nature of the radiation. She wanted to know why rocks radiated in the first place. She was pitching ideas around Goat uh, to her superiors saying like, hey, I think rocks, you know, I think rocks know what's up, you know? They're not like sentient in the way that we know of, but there's some sort of awareness to them, surely. If they radiate, maybe they're, they have some sort of life to them. superiors would just be like, oh yeah, right, the sun radiates, does that have life? And she was just like, well shit, maybe, you know, doesn't any form of heat or energy, isn't that like some sort of life, kind of? But she was always dismissed by her ideas, being called crackpot or whatever. And then she'd scoff it off and just be like, we all work for an organization called Goat, I mean, come on. So she looked up she looked up the archive data of all the rocks, trying to see what they had in common, you know. Assessing their radiation patterns. What was peculiar is that the radiation didn't quite have a source. It's not that they had a, they didn't have a heartbeat in the way humans did. It's just the entirety of the rock emitted the radiation. Not all rocks radiated. 
way that the rocks she studied. But she didn't understand why they radiated. Ever since that moon explosion, uh, space travel became more sophisticated, and people were able to bring back samples from other asteroids, or even random debris from other planets that are really far away. And as she studied uh, different planetary rocks and whatnot, she was drawing the conclusion that Maybe every planet was its own life form of some sort. That every planet, uh, or every asteroid, uh, had its own type of radiation, and that radiation was life itself. So she pitched this idea, and the, her superiors would often be like, well, you know, that's like saying, you know, or saying like the urge to chuck a baby out a window, a personality, or as a... Is a red laser death beam, is that a personality? And she's just like, well, not quite, but you know, that's how it comes off to us, you know? Like, if there was a monster under the sea that was having a bad day, the whole nearby continent would be in a wave of depression, right? People were calling Patricia too esoteric, too into rocks and glass. One day she was drinking with her superior. They had a little bar on the uh, on the side of the goat terminal. One thing she loved about goat is that everyone knew how to make good drinks because they all studied rocks all day, and sometimes you need a drink after that. And it was nice. It was kind of like a little airport parking lot thing. Nice patio area. They, they, they pretty much use an old uh, plane terminal, uh, an old plane hangar. Has like the makeshift bar, just this big warehouse space that they can drink in. Super cool. And she was drinking with co-workers and her superior goes, I don't know, Patricia, I think you're fucking nuts. You know, you really, you went to your top of your class or whatever, but you don't know anything about fucking rocks, man. Look at me, I'm Patricia, I feel the rock's soul and all that. I know all about rocks. And Patricia was just like, you know, uh, Simon, you're being an asshole. And Simon was just like, oh, I'm being an asshole? Oh, sorry, Earth, I'm being an asshole. And Patricia was just like, hey, I keep saying it, you know, rocks don't have life in the way that we're used to, you know? Isn't climate change like a sort of... So, isn't climate change like a form of fever that's purging out a virus? The virus of humanity. And Simon just like pulled out a gun, which you should never do while drinking. All goat uh, officials had a gun because it used to be funded by the U.S. and they were they're really into that. <laughs> that was just a rule that never quite lifted. They're just like, no, let's keep the guns. We're dealing with a lot of rocks. <laughs> Makes sense, right? Well, if you're dealing with rocks, of, like death ray rocks, then maybe. I don't know, whatever. It's a whole thing. I'm not contributing to the gun violence discourse. I'm just saying they all had guns. Anyway. 
So Simon steps out of the bar outside. He's just like, oh, what? So if I shoot the earth, you know, it's gonna feel pain. Can I kill it by shooting it? And then Patricia was just like, oh, no. Like, you know, I wouldn't be into that, even if I was a, you know, if you felt like a bug bite, you know, wouldn't you want to scratch at it or slap it? And then Simon was just like, Psh, whatever. So he took his gun and just fired it off into the dirt. All six rounds into the grass and the soil. And the shots just echoed in the large field that the terminal was at. Simon lifted up his arms and he was just like, see, nothing. So that next day, everyone who was at the bar, uh, who was laughing at Simon and his jokes, really on his side of the argument and really mocking Patricia in a way that she didn't appreciate. They were all at work. And Patricia was just, you know, studying one rock uh, that came from the earth that was radiating in the same way that the baby chucking and the death ray radiation was. Not the same pattern, but similar type of radiation. But then it starts to flare up. Patricia feels something inside her that she can't quite put her finger on. And she didn't know why, but she felt the urge to just go for a drive. You know. She didn't know why she wanted to. She was just like, you know what, this is the thing to do. It's kind of like an OCD thing. So she goes on her lunch break, gets in her car, and then starts to drive away from the terminal. just cruises around the town, you know. She hasn't worked a goat for too long. Wanted to see some sights, you know, check out some restaurants and whatnot. And while she's driving, uh, she feels the earth shake a little bit. And she knew it had to be a lot because she was in a moving car. And you can't quite feel earthquakes as well when you're in a moving vehicle like that. But she saw a shake... Some couple buildings collapse. Nothing too devastating. Just a itty bitty earthquake that destroys a bit of pieces of a town, whatever. She lived in an era of baby chucking, so she was, uh. just a little bit desensitized to destruction and violence in a way that's kind of upsetting. So she's just like, oh, fuck, you know. She doesn't know what to do from here, so what she does is she goes back to the terminal. And she sees that the whole facility is sunken. There's like a crack open in the center of the terminal. And the terminal just kind of caved in. All of her superiors were dead, including Simon had the most brutal death out of everyone. All of his limbs were cut up and separated just from the fall. He just landed on a bunch of sharp pointy things. So then Patricia became one of the uh, leading experienced uh, staffers of what remained of GOAT. So she made the top priority of retrieving as many archives as she could. 
and they recovered most of them. And she was one of the people in charge of uh, restarting Goat uh, to give a earnest study of glass and rocks and the radiation that they emit. And she was proud of being a member of the uh, Geological Optometrist uh, Archive Terminal. Even though it's tragic what happened uh, to her superiors and staffers at GOAT that were real shitty to her, she didn't quite help feeling good being right. <laughs> Working it. Mm -hmm. One more story in the jar. Okay. Good. All right. I have a feeling this was already a title, but maybe not. But I'm gonna read it. So this next story is called Dances with Goats. Gregory was sick on the day that the goat terminal sunk. He called out that day because he was vaccinated um, from the uh, baby chucking compulsion. There's a lot of rumors about whether or not how effective these vaccines were. Could they truly curtail the radiation that compels people to check out babies? Maybe that was something the GOAT uh, Institute would do research into. But when he showed up for work the next day and uh, the whole GOAT terminal collapsed, he was just like, you know what, I think I'm going to take this as an omen uh, to not deal with um, geological optometry and the mysterious radiation of rocks. So he decided to wander the earth. He loved science, and studying, and data. He had two PhDs. Uh, one in rocks, one in eyeballs. 
He thought a new way to observe the Earth was to just live in it, man. Observe it. Just hang out. Chill out. And as someone who had two PhDs, he had a lot of catching up to do. He would wander fields, cities, learn new languages. He was really enjoying uh, his new life. Never had to live with too much money. Just enough to get by. Sometimes he'd sleep outside. He had a lot of cottage debt from the PhDs, but he didn't worry about that. He was a wanderer of the earth now. Whenever he talked to friends and family, he'd just be all, they'd just be all like, uh, you know, it's kind of funny that he decided to wander the earth when the debt collectors came a-knocking. And he was just like, you know, I just think it's a better way to live um, without money or any of those constraints. Overall, he was pretty untraceable, uh, unless he wanted to be found. And he still appreciated rocks and glass and wood observe them and keep some in his pocket wherever he traveled. Sometimes he'd have memento, memento, little mementos from places he traveled. Like a little pebble from a pond somewhere. And then he'd give it to someone as a friend and hopefully they would put good use to the memento, maybe pass it along in some way. And a lot of people liked him uh, as he wandered the earth. fascinated when he talked about his old research days and when he talked about his new travels uh, as a wanderer and he loved hearing stories of other people who either wander or don't wander and just hang out and as much as he loved uh, science and research for the first time in his life uh, Gregory felt at peace for where he was in the world where he was going and how he lived. That was until we met the goats. He thought it was a simple way to pull some cash. It was just uh, this old random goat farm. He'd go and help out. And the farmer Clyde would just be like, yeah, you know, it's just real simple. Uh, just fucking take care of the goats, feed them hang out with them. They usually need attention, you know. We usually keep them in their pens, but, uh, if you want to interact with them, uh, you can do so at your discretion. And then Gregory was just like, well, what do you mean by discretion? And then Clyde was just like, well, you know, I mean, these goats have some personality, uh, issues. Uh, I mean, who doesn't, but at the same time, like, uh, you know, you can hang out with them and stuff, but you might want to keep your distance. And then, uh, Gregory was just like, well, as a wanderer of the earth, I, I've gotten a lot, a lot of people with my own species and with many animals, and I'm someone who believes that anyone can be reached, anyone can be touched, anyone's inner light can be uh, filled, accessed, channeled, and we can all bask in the beautiful glow of living itself. Clyde was just like, yeah, man, we'll see how that goes. If you can, uh, if you can touch these goats, then good on you. 
So Gregory would take care of the goats while Clyde was out of town. Usually some usually weeks at a time. Just do simple things, you know, feed them, give, give them some attention. Gregory would, Gregory would just, like, talk to the goats, about, talk about his day. And the goats would kind of just, like, stare at him, just being like, who the fuck is this guy? And then just kind of stare away, disinterested. goats. They sure did love oats. Gregory would feed them oats, and the goats would be ecstatic. They'd be like, fuck yeah, oats. Even, like, the really old, grumpy goats would just be all like, I approve of these goats. These, uh, oats. The young goats would be like, dance around and stuff. And then Gregory would dance with them, you know, feeling like he was participating in something, but really he was just capitalizing on the uh, goat's enthusiasm for uh, sustenance to live, interpreting it as its own uh, self-gratifying uh, cultivation of experience or whatever the fuck. So one day when he went to feed the goats, uh, he ran out of oats in the bag. She's like, fuck, I don't know. This hasn't happened before. I guess I gotta get some more oats. So he called Clyde up. Uh, he was on a trip to Argentina. He was just like, Clyde, uh, I need your help with something. And Clyde's just like, yeah, what's up, man? And then Gregor was just like, well, we ran out of um, oats and feed for the goats. Uh, so I was just wondering, like, where can I like pick some up or whatever? And Clyde was just like, yeah, it's uh, it's not far. It's just like, uh, if you go 10 miles out, uh, down this one highway, uh, you can just buy some, uh, oats. Uh, if you pay for them, I'll reimburse you. Uh, you can use my car, and you don't have to pay her for gas or anything, as long as it's just, you know, as long as the goats get fed. It's very important that the goats get fed. And Gregory was just like, oh, I don't know, man, driving. I haven't driven in 20 years. I'm spending all my time wandering the earth. Being one with nature, I have no time for wheels. And then Clyde was just like, "Well, listen, your job—you gotta—you gotta feed these goats at all costs. You gotta feed them something, man. I mean, but they like those oats, so I'll just go pick them up, and then it won't be something you have to worry about." And then Gregory was just like, "Yeah, okay." So he found a uh, Clyde's spare key went to his truck, and he was just like, oh, fuck, man, driving. Put his foot on the gas pedal, and he's just like, ah. Luckily, the road was very desolate, uh, so it didn't freak him out as much. Just like a st steady drive, just like, yeah, driving's easy, driving's cool. It's part of lived experience, man, you know, in it or with it, you know. Don't worry about contributing to climate change. It's just fucking, let's just go, man. Be, yeah. The Kerouac or whatever, just fucking. <laughs> Gotta just go, 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 man. Find it, bro. Have you seen my father? Whatever. But then halfway to the uh, oat store, the store that exclusively sells oats, a uh, tire goes out. And Gregory uh, pulled over and he was just like, oh, fuck. The tire's out. I don't know how to fucking change a tire. I've never done this shit before. 
So what he tried to do was just, he tried to hitchhike from there. But again, this was a very desolate road. And no cars came by, and the few that did didn't pick him up or help him out with the flat tire. And then Gregory thought, wait a minute, I'm a wanderer of the earth. I can just wander to the oat store, and then wander right back. walked the rest of the five miles, but then when he got to the oat store, it was closed, and it was already getting dark, and then Gregory was just like, well, shit, man, I guess I'll fucking chill out and wait for them to open, I guess. I thought about going back to the farm and trying to pick something else up, but the car had a flat tire, and he was already far away from it. He's been walking so long that he needed the rest. He was just like, I'll just fucking chill out here. So he lied down, picked up some pebbles and stared at them and studied them as he fell asleep. And then he woke up, it was dawn, and the owner of the oat store was just like, oh, you're out here all night? And then Gregory was just like, yeah, man, came for some oats. And the guy was just like, all right, good, cool. So Gregory paid for two bags of oats, very large bags, by the way, and just started to carry them, walking the full 10 miles, passing the car with a flat tire on the way there, and he was just like, oh, I'll get that car later, whatever. And when Gregory arrived at the farm, it was burned down. The goat pens were also burned down. Everything was destroyed. Everything that wasn't destroyed by the flames were busted up and rammed open, nibbled on, what have you. So Gregory's just like walked, walking around the ruins, and just, oh no, what the fuck happened? And then he hears it. <laughs> he turns around and... All 20 of the goats are standing behind him. They're all different ages, different types of goats. But there's one in front that just goes, the second time. It's been a while since Gregory's been this terrified. Again, he lived through the baby chucking generation. <laughs> and he's wandered the earth and met a lot of people and has seen a lot of shit. But when you stare into the face of 20 hungry goats, you feel nothing but fear. So he just gently put the bags down and then backed a few steps away. <laughs> immediately started to tear open the bags and just started munching all the oats. And this was 20 goats, so they all went after it. Manic and starving. Nibbling, ramming each other. So Gregory takes a step back. His next move is just like, oh, I guess I gotta call Clyde and, you know, tell him about these goats burning down his house or whatever. It's not like it was my fault. I didn't do it. 
So I try to think, like, oh, maybe I can find a phone somewhere. Maybe I can walk back to the old store or something. He's trying to scheme different plans on how to handle the situation. But before he could fully develop a plan, the, oops, the, the goats stopped eating. They finished the two full bags of oats. And then they all stared at Gregory. They were still hungry. <laughs> That's what the goat in front says. And then some other goats chime in. They all bray one by one. Slowly and steadily, clomping toward Gregory as he backs away. thinks about himself and thinks about his life. He thinks about living through the baby chucking generation. Thinking about his cousin getting blown up by a death ray somehow by some railroad tracks. Thinks that uh, thinks about his old job at the GOAT terminal uh, sinking into the earth on his day off. And he thinks about all the years he spent afterwards wandering the earth. And when he embarked on that quest of wandering the earth, he told himself that he was ready for anything. So as he, so as he stared into the face of 20 hungry goats, he thinks to himself, My quest has finally come to an end. Quarantine Spook Show. I'm Kyle Carezzi. And again, as the one year anniversary of Quarantine Spook Show, I'm happy to spend it with all of you. And good night. Good night. Good night to you. Good night to you. Good night to you. Good night. about it is I don't put the titles in. I just fucking roll with it. They just, yeah. I'm not writing this. It just it just appears, you know?
I thought I'd get tired of the uh, pandemic allegories, but I'm still I'm fucking into it. it. <laughs> <laughs> It's a different experience when you like see it live, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we're all like vibing on each other, and it like adds to it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that was. Yeah, that was. 